Oh, Father, we are grateful for your mercy and um, for your unmerited favor, your unending love, and your amazing grace. Thank you for the great salvation that we have in Christ. Father, thank you for our Bibles now, and I pray that you would use your word today to strengthen us in our walk with Christ. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And as you reach for your Bibles, I want to ask you not to turn to Hebrews to begin with, but I'd like to turn to, to the Old Testament book of Numbers, uh, the book of Numbers. And I want you to turn to chapter 12. And there is a most remarkable story there. It's more than just a remarkable story. It lays a foundation for a very important part of our thinking in understanding Hebrews chapter 3. I'll explain more of that in a minute, but let's use Numbers chapter 12 for our introduction. You follow along. I'm going to read the whole chapter. There's 16 verses. I'll comment a little bit on it. It is quite remarkable. It is the life of Moses that we're dealing with here. And before we begin to read, let me re- there's God and three characters in this story. Moses, his older sister Miriam. Remember Miriam? When Moses, by his parents, was placed into that basket, hidden in the river, when Pharaoh was killing all the babies, the older sister Miriam hid in the reeds, remember, and watched, and then Pharaoh's daughter came down, got Moses, and he grew up in Pharaoh's household. That's that Miriam, okay? Now, they're all adults now. And then Aaron, remember when God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of, the children of Israel out of Egypt, uh, remember what Moses said, I, 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 I can't, 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 can't talk, talk. So he gave him Aaron to be his spokesperson. And then Aaron also served in the priestly role. Okay. So here's the characters, Moses, this great leader of God. They're all adults. They're in the wilderness. This is right after the time when God gave the quail, when they complained about the manna, God let the wind blow, blew quail in, and they had meat until it came out their nose, it says. And they grumbled about that too. Well, there's something else that Miriam and Aaron are grumbling about Moses. This is very important in understanding Hebrews 3 and having the right mindset. Let me read the story now. Here we go. Numbers chapter 12. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses Because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, and he had married an Ethiopian woman. I guess he married an Ethiopian woman, and his sister and his brother didn't like it. I don't know if it was racism. I don't know if she was just difficult to get along with. But they did not like Moses marrying this woman, and they were grumbling against him. So they said, Miriam and Aaron... Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? You know, if God speaks through Moses to his people, he can speak to us through us too. Miriam and Aaron can speak. But there's a little short sentence at the end of verse 2 that's a wake-up call to all of us. And the Lord heard it. Hmm. Let's keep reading. Verse 3 is very informative. Now the man Moses was very humble. Your Bible might say meek more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Uh, It's parenthetical. You see parentheses around it? It must be the writer 
whether Moses wrote that about himself, I don't know. He is accredited with writing most of this historical account. I think he's letting us know that in his meekness, in his humility, he didn't want to defend himself. He makes the point that God heard what they said about him. He's the one that's to be the mouthpiece for God. They don't like him because of who he married, and they want to be the mouthpiece for God. Let's read on verse 4. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. You got it? They grumbled. He said, you three, over at the tabernacle now. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud, and he stood in the door of the tabernacle, and he called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. You two. Come forward right now. And then God said, look what it says. Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Remember that line right there. It's repeated in Hebrews 3. He is faithful in all my house, speaking of the house of Israel. I speak with him face to face. Remember that line right there because that is in the mind of the Hebrews 3 readers. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. And when you, and then were, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? You see what he's saying? So Miriam and Aaron are disgruntled with Moses. They say, well, God can speak through us. They don't, God doesn't need Moses. God calls them out. You two step forward. He appears out of the cloud and he says to them in the entryway of the tabernacle, I can have people speak for me in the camp anytime I want. And I will appear to them in a dream or in a vision. And we have testimony of that in Scripture, don't we? Where God would reveal his word through a testimony or a vision on occasion. He said, but I'm telling you, with my servant Moses, I don't do that. I speak with Moses face to face. All right? That's very impressive. Keep that in mind. When God spoke to Moses, he would speak to him face to face, and he adds the detail, and he even sees my form. I don't do that with anybody else, but I do that with Moses. Now, the end of the story is must reading. Look what happens. Verse 9. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. And then Aaron turned towards Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of, the, out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord. He was humble, wasn't he? He was meek. Here they've been trashing him, trying to usurp his authority, trying to say that God could speak through them just as well as he could speak through him. And he says, God, please take away this leprosy. Heal her, O God, I pray. And then the Lord said, verse 14, to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Okay, so in this culture, in the Eastern culture, if a teenage daughter would have been rebellious against her father and trash-talked him, maybe 
put him down, maybe wished he were dead, wished she could leave his home, all right, spit in his face. She would have been required to leave home and leave the community for seven days for punishment before she would be allowed to come back and make amends. That's what he's referring to, something that would have been very familiar in their minds. Then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, he spit in her face as an indicator that she disobeyed, get out. And she was unclean and go out of the community. Let her be shut out of the camp seven days and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. We'll stop right there and we can go to Hebrews 3. Is that a remarkable story? All right, what I want you to get out of that story is I want you to be very impressed with Moses. All right, so Aaron's impressive. Miriam had a role before the Lord, and they said, God can use us. And he said, yeah, I can if I want, and I can have anybody in the camp speak the word of God for me. I'll give them a vision. I'll give them a dream. I'll tell them what to do, what I want. But not so with Moses, my servant. With Moses, I speak face to face. All right, so let me remind you of something that you need to keep in mind as we study the book of Hebrews, and we're at the beginning of chapter 3 now, and our text today will be verses 1 through 6. You need to keep this in mind. We, the church in a soybean field in Shenandoah Junction, West Virginia, we here, this part of the household of God, we don't think like the people who are receiving this letter to begin with. We don't think anything like them. We are American Gentiles by and large. They were Hebrew Jews. We're separated by a couple thousand, uh, by a, a, how many, oh yeah, a couple thousand years almost. All right, this is right after Christ ascended back into heaven. This is a group of believers who were raised up in Judaism. They knew their Old Testament intimately. We don't even know the books of the Old Testament. And they knew the Old Testament intimately, and they knew that God spoke face-to-face with Moses, and they loved Moses, and there was no greater hero in all of Israel than Moses. No greater leader, no greater patriot, no greater prophet of God, no one that God used greater than Moses in Israel, and they knew that, and they loved Moses for it. And so what is the writer of Hebrews saying when we begin in chapter 3? See, he's got a problem there. He has just spent chapter 1 and chapter 2 dealing with a theological fault that they think because Jesus put on flesh and became a man and was lower than an angel, he must not be as important as angels because they were quite impressed with angels. And now the writer has to convince them, do not walk away from Christ because they think Jesus is inferior to Moses. And the writer is trying to convince them, no, Jesus is superior to Moses. But they think because there was no other prophet like him in Israel and that God spoke to him face to face, that in the Jewish mind, to our notes, in the Jewish mind, it was unthinkable that there could be a greater prophet than Moses. So not only did this group of Hebrew believers being persecuted now by Nero, being assaulted for the name of Christ by those who were still in Judaism. They don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They grew up in Judaism, keeping the law, reading the Old Testament. 
And now they're shaky in their faith and they're thinking about going back to Judaism. And the writer addresses Christ is greater than angels. And now the whole point of today is he wants to make clear to them that Christ is greater than Moses. Now, you need to understand that today's message has to stop after verse 6 because of the clock. But verses 1 through 6 are an introduction of all of chapter 3 into chapter 4. The writer is convincing them of a very important point, namely hardness of heart. And it starts with a wrong attitude about Jesus. And so he's, the first thing he's trying to do is get them to clear their mind. I want to clear your mind of a faulty concept. And it is that in any way Moses would be greater than Jesus. Get that out of your mind. I mean, after all, it's understandable that they would think so highly of Moses. I put a few bullet points in the, in the notes to remind us how impressive Moses' resume is. And we've already emphasized that he had spoken face-to-face with God. That was the biggest deal. In fact, in Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, you don't have to turn there, but let me read to you Deuteronomy 34, 10, which was stated about Moses when he was dying, that since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. That was the testimony of Moses at the end of his life and ministry, that there is no other prophet like him in Israel who the Lord knew face to face. Wow. Can you understand how in these Jewish mind of the Hebrews that they were so impressed with Moses? Add to that now that he had led the Israelites out of Egypt to our bullet point list. He had led the Israelites out of Egypt. We know those stories very well, the 10 plagues. He rose up after the captivity and led God's people to Canaan. He, had, he was the one who received the law. Now you recall that in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was preaching, he pointed out that the angels had facilitated the giving of the law. And that was one reason why the Hebrew believers were so impressed with angels, chapters 1 and 2. But Moses himself received the law, so he was like no other prophet. When God wanted to speak to his people and give the Ten Commandments and give the law and and give all the details of the feasts and all of the requirements of what it meant to please a living, holy God, he gave it to Moses on Mount Sinai. Fourthly, he had received instructions about the tabernacle. You remember the tabernacle was a portable temple, so to speak. Ultimately, the temple gets built in Jerusalem. But when God told his people, this is where I'm going to dwell, in this holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. You see, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, Christ or the Holy Spirit did not dwell in believers. But he dwelled, he came and and went But he dwelt among his people in a specific place. And in the Holy of Holies is where the high priest would go in and represent the people. And it was a fearsome thing. He he thought he might be struck dead in the presence of a holy God. That's where God was. You remember when uh, uh, the Israelites were moving uh, the ox cart. They had the, the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart. And they're going along in the Ark of the Covenant. That's where God was. And, and the cart begins to sway and it's going to fall. The, the assistant priest leans his hand up there to hold it. And he's struck dead instantly. See, being in the presence of a holy God was an awesome thing. And that's where he was. And, 
And when God wanted to tell his people, this is where I'm going to dwell. And, and you read in your Bible, I wrote down Exodus chapter 25 through 31. It is extensive detail. It is tiresome detail. He gave it to Moses and Moses was required to put that all together. And so the Jews from then on, even in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, were so impressed with that. You want a great prophet? Heh. <laughs> There's only one that spoke face to face with God. There's only one who led us out of Israel. There's only one who received the law. There's only one who put the tabernacle together. And furthermore, let's throw in there that he wrote the first five books of the Old, of the Old Testament. He, worked, he wrote the first five books. We call that the Pentateuch, written by Moses. So you're going to tell me. So here's the Hebrew. We've got to go back to the Hebrew Jews in their little house church. You're going to tell me you want me to follow Jesus Christ, and you're going to tell me he's greater than Moses, and the writer of Hebrews says, absolutely, he's greater than Moses, and don't you, don't you think for a heartbeat about giving up on Jesus and going back to Moses. Let's go to our text now, verses 1 through 6 is all we're going to cover. Keep your notes there. The first thing we're going to do after we look at verse 1, we're going to look how the writer shows some similarities between Christ and Moses. And then we're going to look and see how the writer shows how Christ is superior to Moses. And then we're going to have to just stop there because he doesn't get to the application. The writer doesn't. He's got to get through this first with the readers. And we'll be out of time then. We'll make some application and then we'll go to IHOP, okay? Amen. All right. Let's read verse 1 again that Nathaniel quoted so well for us. Therefore... Okay, therefore, okay, so he's continuing his line of thought from chapter 2. Therefore, because Jesus put on flesh, remember last week's message, when the incarnation and all that was accomplished in the atonement was because Christ put on flesh. Remember, these Hebrew believers are critical of Jesus. He can't be that impressive. If God became a man, how can that be? And if God was nailed to a cross, how is that impressive? Angels are above that, and he points out no Angels are there to serve him. Angels are there to serve humans. Angels are not that impressive compared to God's plan for humans and for God's plan for his son in the plan of salvation for us. So therefore, now he says, look how he addresses them and us. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. That's us. That's the Hebrew believers. He's speaking to people who are believers in God. These are not pagans that he's writing. And they had converted to Christianity. They're thinking about giving it up. But he says to them, you holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. What is, let's, let's just think about that word consider for a minute before we get in the notes. Consider Jesus is what he's saying. You're all hung up with angels and Moses. I want you to consider Jesus. What does consider mean? Your translation might say it means to, to fix your thoughts. To fix your thoughts on something. Did it just get darker? Don't let that bother you. To fix your thoughts. Consider Jesus. Fix your thoughts on him. Or the idea is to apply one's mind to it diligently. Apply your mind to this. Think about it. Consider it. Fix your mind. Consider Jesus. And he uses an interesting title for Jesus. We're not used to this. The apostle 
and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Okay, so he's saying to the Hebrew believers, I want you to fix your mind and your thoughts on the high priest and apostle, Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to talk extensively about how Jesus is our high priest in chapter 4. It's a repeated theme in Hebrews. It's also something that they're going to question. Because remember, parentheses right now. Remember that to be a priest and to be a high priest, you had to be a son of Aaron or of the tribe of Levi. Jesus Christ was of, of what tribe? A son of David of the tribe of Judah. So these Hebrew believers, remember, they think, they think about this stuff. We don't think about this stuff. They knew the Old Testament. We don't even know the books of the Old Testament by name. They would have had a question about this too. How can he be a priest if he's not of the right priestly line? We'll deal with that later. But look at that title, Apostle. He's our Apostle, Christ Jesus. Couldn't be any clearer that he's talking about Jesus. And we don't talk like that. We don't pray and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of the great high Apostle, Jesus Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, if you prayed that way, somebody would think you might be part of a cult or something. But do you know it would be highly accurate to pray like that? There wouldn't be anything wrong with that. Apostle means sent one. And the idea is a sent one, somebody who is sent by another person with a message to communicate that message. That's Jesus, isn't it? God the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And he came with a message crying out for repentance of sin. And to give life everlasting. He is the ultimate apostle. He is the high apostle. This apostle and high priest of our calling, Christ Jesus. That's who he's talking about. The next thing he's going to do then is he's going to show them similarities. Now what he's wanting to do is he's trying to clear their mind. Don't be confused. Let's clear our minds. Christ is superior He is greater than Moses. Make no mistake of it. Christ is greater than Moses. How is Christ similar? Roman uh, letter A in our outline. How was Christ similar? Look what he says. Christ Jesus, comma, verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in his house, implying that Moses was appointed by God and Christ was appointed by God. They are similar, number one, that both were appointed by God. Number two, it says, and they were faithful in all his house. Number one, both were appointed by God for special ministry. Moses stood by a burning bush and God appointed him for a mission. Jesus was born in a manger, and God appointed him to grow up to go to a cross on a special mission to bear the sins of the world upon himself. Both were appointed by God. Number two, both were faithful to fulfill their mission, so they're similar that way too. And then both were responsible for God's house. Number three, both were responsible. See what it says in verse two? As Moses also was faithful in all his house. All right? Now, let's just think about that. We saw that in Numbers chapter 12, that Moses was a faithful servant to God's house. There, it was talking about Israel. Here, we're part of the household of God in the New Testament. It's the church. So let's understand something. House, when it's used in this spiritual way, in this figurative way, means 
God's spiritual people, God's identifiable people, not pagans, not people who reject God, not people who reject Christ, but it's speaking about God's spiritual people. So Moses was responsible for God's house in the Old Testament, God's spiritual people, and that would be, letter A, Israel. Moses was responsible for God's house in the Old Testament, that's Israel. In the New Testament, under Christ, God's house is his church. And Christ was over his house here in the New Testament. So it's figurative language. It's talking about the people of God. And if you want more New Testament evidence of that, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, it talks there, the Apostle Paul talks to the believers in Ephesus, telling them that they are members of the household of God. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul tells Timothy that we are that the house of God, which is the church of the living God. The house of God is the church of God. 1 Peter 2.5, you also are a spiritual house. He's talking figuratively about God's people who are his house. Now let's go back and let our eyes go back to the text. Verse 2, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, God, who appointed him, Christ, as Moses also was faithful in all his house, his leadership over Israel. Verse 3, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory. This one, Jesus, has been counted of worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. So the first thing we see is that he begins in no way putting Moses down to these people. All right? He's not trashing Moses. He even shows how they were similar. They were both appointed by God. They were both faithful to God in their mission. And they were both responsible for God's house at different times, different ways. Now, letter B in our notes, he's going to show us in verse 3 how Christ is superior to Moses. Now, this is the hang-up. This is the problem with the Hebrew believers. We don't trouble. Not many of us in the room today struggle with this. And I call you up, say, hey, I haven't seen you in church for a while, Lon. Yeah, Pastor Van, I'm just stuck on this concept that Christ is not greater than Moses. I'm really into Moses. Lon, where'd you get that? <laughs> well, he's, he was face to face with God. He led the children of Israel to Israel. He got the law from Mount Sinai. I just can't get over that Moses is greater than Jesus. See, we don't think like that. These people are hugely stuck on it, Okay. So he has to prove to them that Christ is superior. Let's look at verse 3 now. For this one, we just read it, for this one, Christ, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. See, that would have been a stunning concept to to a Jew. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. All right, here's the idea. You can use it spiritually, but you can also use it as a practical illustration of a carpenter in a house. What has more, who has more honor? A guy builds a house and there's the house sitting there empty waiting for a family or the guy who drew it up and built it. Who really has more honor? The guy who built it. The house is inanimate. The carpenter and the engineer and the architect, that's the gifted people. So in the same way that a house doesn't have more honor Then the builder, Christ is the builder, is his point. So number one, Christ built the house. Moses served in the house. Verse three, 
One more time, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory. This one is Jesus. Then Moses, inasmuch as he, Jesus, who built the house, has more honor than the house. And we know that Moses served in the house of Israel, but Jesus built it all. Secondly, number two, Christ built all things. There's a statement now that God created all things, for every house is built by someone. But he who built all things is God. And he's equating, I think, there, Christ with God. Christ built all things. Moses didn't build all things. Number three, Christ is the son over the house and Moses was just a servant in his house. Let's read on. For every house, verse four again, is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant And for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. Verse 6, but Christ as a son over his own house. You see, so here's how Christ is superior, people. Number one, Christ built the house. Number two, Christ built all things. Number three, Christ is a son over the house. A son has way more credibility and identity with the house and greatness than the servant. Moses, my line dropped off, by the way. Moses was a servant on number three under letter B. Moses was a servant, verses five and six. Finally, Christ fulfills, Christ fulfills, number four, what Moses testified. We won't take the time to look there, but notice that phrase at the end of verse five. For a testimony... Of those things which would be spoken afterwards, talking about Moses said things about things that would come after him. What did he say? If you were to take the time to look up Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, it would say there, recording Moses' words, that there is another who's like me who's going to come who's greater than me. Talking about Jesus. Moses himself understood he was not greater than Jesus. We flipped the page in our note, and I wanted to remind you once again that we would notice that the writer is not disparaging Moses. He is simply challenging his readers to see the superiority of Christ. Now, how does he end this section? And like I said, we just kind of, what we're doing, we're just kind of like stopping in the middle of a, it doesn't make sense to stop. This is all going somewhere, but we're out of time. We have to stop. Verse 6, one more time. Let's pick it up with verse 5 one more time and run into it. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house in Israel as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, which would be Christ. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Your Bible might not say firm to the end. There's a debate in translations whether firm to the end is the best translation. Now, the New King James doesn't serve us well right here. A little bit more modern translation helps us even more. But let's read verse 6 one more time because he says something that is very interesting. Christ is son over his own house whose house we are. Christ has a house, we are that house. He's telling the Hebrew believers, you are the house of Christ. But he puts an if in there. Did you see that? We are his house if we hold fast 
the confidence, that's our belief and our faith, if we hold that fast and keep the rejoicing of the hope, keep your hope in place, firm to the end. In other words, don't give up. Don't bail on Jesus. We're part of his house. People who are part of his house don't bail on him. Some people want to argue that this is a statement that you can lose your salvation and walk away from Christ. We're going to have an entire message on that because Hebrews deals with that. You cannot lose your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. It's a gift to you, and you can't drop it and get rid of it. But if you are saved, if you, if you are in Christ, you've been to the cross, you've laid down the burden of your sin, you recognize that Jesus Christ was the substitutionary lamb for you, and by faith you accepted for yourself the finished work of Christ at the cross, then you know you are part of God's house, Christ's house, and you will show that by persevering, by continuing in that house. You don't leave Christ. One of the signs of authentic faith in Jesus Christ is that we keep walking with Christ. It doesn't mean we can't sin. It doesn't mean that people don't get stuck in traps and detours. We'll talk about that. But one of the, one of the signs of authentic faith in Christ is that you hold firm to your hope in Christ. So he says, clear your mind. Don't lose hope in your notes. Hold firm to the end. By the way, this idea of holding on is a common theme in Hebrews. You're going to see it right away later in this chapter. Let your eyes go over to verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast. See that? He's going to say it again in Hebrews 10.23. To hold fast to your hope. It's a repeated theme in Hebrews. Why? Because he's dealing with a group of people who have accepted Christ, have established themselves in the household of faith, and they're thinking about giving up on Jesus and walking away. And he's saying to them, don't do that. Don't do that. Believers in Christ don't walk away. Okay? So let's just apply this to our lives in just a couple minutes here and then go home. Number one, I think when we see these first few verses and how the the writer of Hebrews is convincing these people that Christ is superior, even to an awesome leader, godly man like Moses who was face-to-face with God. You need to remember, like the Hebrew believers, there is nowhere else to go for our salvation than in Christ. Remember when you know Christ, you are complete in Christ. When you know Christ, you are complete in Christ. There is nothing lacking. He is a sufficient Savior. Keeping the law will not impress God. Salvation is only in Christ. You see what the Hebrew believers were doing? Listen to me. What the Hebrew believers were going to do is they wanted to go back and make a list, a grocery list, the Ten Commandments, check off all the things that they're doing so God could be impressed with them and forget that Jesus Christ had substituted into their place, kept the law for them, and by grace through faith gave them the free gift of salvation that only he could earn by becoming a human. All God, all man. It's a little bit like this. You get to show up someday. We all have an appointment at the end of our lives. We take our last breath. We're standing before a holy God. He says, why should I let you into my heaven? What are you going to do? Um, uh, just a minute. Just a minute. 
I have my list of rules that I've kept. I, I have studied the law of Moses. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. Have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not lie, steal, lust after your neighbor's bass boat. You know. You know the list. You know the list. Do you think, do you think, tell me the truth about yourself in your mind and your heart. Do you think God's going to believe you if you tell him you kept the law of Moses? Especially if you go to the New Covenant and read in Matthew how Jesus raised the bar that much higher. You don't want to commit adultery? You don't have to. You just lust after a woman in your heart and you've committed adultery. Well, that's impossible. Yeah, that's the point. You need Jesus. You can't keep the law, buddy. You see, Jesus kept the law for you. Jesus lived a sinless life and he died on the cross and all of your sin was piled on him. And now what you have to do is you have to look to Jesus and you admit your sinfulness and he covers that with his blood and he gives you his righteousness. You see, you are complete in Christ and the the Hebrew believers are thinking about walking away and he's getting ready, ready, the author is, to give them a huge illustration back from the Old Testament about how many corpses were out in the desert because of unbelief. And you're going to look just like that. Number one, you're complete in Christ. You don't need Moses. You don't need the law. Legalism does not impress God. You see, there's only one way to God, and that's through Christ. Number two, I think that there's an obvious lesson from this passage that the Hebrew believers needed to get and that we need to get and that they were allowing a very impressive person to become more important to them than Christ, Moses. We don't think like that. We already admitted that. But how many other people, things, and concepts do we put as more important than Christ? How many of us are tempted to walk away from Christ because something else has come up in our life that might be more important? I can't live without that. You've, listen, you've got nowhere to go once you've been to Jesus. There's nowhere to go. Don't leave. Stick with the hope of your salvation. But I wonder, I talk to people all the time who are dissatisfied with their Christianity and they don't feel fulfilled in Christ. And maybe the main reason is, is because they have a list of about 19 things that are more important to them and that they worship ahead of Christ. And the writer of Hebrews says, Christ is superior to Moses. And I'm telling you, get your list of 19 things out and Christ is superior to every one of them. Get Christ in first place. Number three, it's kind of just, kind of just putting another layer on the cake here. Stick with Christ. Be faithful. One of the marks of a believer is abiding in Christ. John 8, 31 says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. That theme comes out in this passage. Don't give up, keep abiding, keep keeping on. Be faithful. Do not grow weary in well-doing. I trust that your hearts have been challenged today. Will you stand with me and let's close in prayer. Bow our heads together, please. Maybe it would be good for us before I pray with our heads bowed to just ask that question. Is there anything in my life that's more important than Jesus right now? 
If so, get right with God. Just tell God that you want to rearrange your priorities. And listen, as great as Moses was to these Hebrew believers, he was not greater than Jesus. And as great as your new pickup is, as great as your cool girlfriend or boyfriend is, as great as your whatever career goal is, it's not greater than Jesus. Don't let it trip you up. Get your eyes on Jesus. That's why he said when we started up, let us consider Christ our great apostle and high priest. Let us fix our eyes on him. Let us dwell on him. Let us consider Jesus together. I want you to clear your mind of this. Nothing, no one, Moses included, is greater than Christ. Clear your mind. Make make no mistake about it. And so, Father, help us to live faithfully before you. We thank you for the wonderful work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the new covenant and that his blood was shed for us and that we are part of his household, the church. Help us to be faithful in walking with Christ and growing in Christ. Help us to learn lessons from this ancient book of Hebrews where these believers were tripped up because they didn't have their priorities quite straight. Father, we commit our homes to you, our health to you, commit our hands and our feet to you to serve you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.